Hello and welcome to the agenda on Monday, the twelfth of December, twenty twenty-two. I am your host, Christopher Gallagher. Uh, Celtic are back this week. We've got something fantastic to look forward to. Uh, I am freezing as well. It's absolutely Baltic in Glasgow. I think between minus four and minus six. Um, Alan Edgar's also in Glasgow. Alan Edgar, how are you? Are you wrapped up nice and warm, sir? I am very, very warm and uh, very comfortable, mainly because I'm avoiding the outside, which has um, proven quite enjoyable so far. So not all good here. Last uh, last week of no Celtic, so building up to it, looking forward to it very, very much. Very much. Uh, Kieran, you are obviously based in Edinburgh. I think there was some snow over the weekend. Is it just as freezing as it is here, I? Yeah, uh, we, I had some. It was quite nice actually because we had some on Thursday, a little splat on Thursday, and then a massive snowfall on Saturday morning, which was quite nice. Um, so a very, very chilled weekend after a walk in the snow and then a nice Christmas party yesterday. But apart from that, it's just been trying to not freeze to death, which is everyone's favourite pastime around this time of year. <laughs> Jesus, um, what what did you have? Anything? What was your Christmas party? Talk me through your how, what a Christmas party looks like in in Edinburgh. Well, we just went to a mate's house. Each of us had a different course or a different type of food. So I, I baked uh, some banana cake and we brought some um, some different cheeses. Very nice. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a smoked smoked cheese man myself. So uh, I was <laughs> uh, consolidating that, a real monopoly over the um, the smoked cheese. Um, but yeah, it was nice. I've got I've got a, a French friend who made some homemade tiramisu, which was absolutely class. And... Um, yeah, it was really, really nice. Uh, but it was also the thing, because we started at half one, so you get, you know, you're steadily drinking through the day, but you also, you, you feel knackered by about half eight. So you go to bed and have an early night, so I'm not too bad today, which is a nice a nice surprise. Great stuff. Lovely to hear it. Alan, what about you? How are you? What did you go up to over the weekend? Anything exciting? Um, I finished up working Friday, so... Um... That was a nice feeling, but it feels like today is the first day where I'm really enjoying it. You don't really notice you're off work until it's quarter to eight on a Monday morning and you think, I might get up early. I might get up early and just watch some TV. So that's been pretty much the, the day so far. Um, and then just the football at the weekend, out and about, gallivanting, etc. It's the time of the year for it. It certainly is. Uh, they do a great vegan cheese now. They do vegan cheese boards, which is um, absolutely terrific. You know... I was wondering earlier, and you perhaps would be the very man to answer this question, being a the spokesperson for the the vegans, of course. Are mince pies vegan? Uh, most of them are, because there's there's oh, like good. there's no mince in them, so it's like just fruit and shit. So, uh, I mean, they are disgusting. So, vegan or not, they are horrible mince I pies. I knew you would have some sort of contrarian opinion. The one thing that Contra- is quite good that is genuinely vegan, and you say, "Ah, they're fucking stinking." <laughs> Jesus Christ, man. Having a Sorry, contrarian having a contrarian opinion about the fact I don't like mince pies? How's that contrary? Yeah. I'm not Paul yeah. Carlin for fuck's sake. No, I'm I'm with Alan on this one. They are objectively good. So you're you're on your own, which makes you the contrarian. So <laughs> I don't like do you know the main the main point is I don't I really dislike raisins. So raisins mm. and like nuts. And raisins are specifically the kind of main thing in a mince pie. So, fuck them. Uh, I Wait, went, you don't like nuts? I, see, I don't like nuts, right? Like, if someone had, like, a packet of peanuts in a, in a pub, 
I, I, absolutely horrendous. However, peanuts sprinkled over something in a meal, mm. I can eat. What about like a, like an almond? Yeah, can you? How do you feel about almonds or like having an almond dessert? Hunky chunky almonds, though the secret of my beauty. Um, that's a fruit and nut case. Uh, it's an advert from the eighties. Um, n- no, I don't like I don't like nuts at all in any shape or form. As I say, unless they're sprinkled on top, or or like a cashew nut. Obviously, I can do a cashew. I think they are quite universally uh, acclaimed. Are they? <laughs> Cashews universally acclaimed. Have I, what? Jesus, it's, it's like it's like it's like it's like Parasite, the twenty nineteen film <laughs> Parasite, and Cashews are the same thing, universally acclaimed. Universally acclaimed. Uh, I'm sure it'll get an Oscar. Um, <laughs> Uh, cashews uh do you know one thing i will say is i went down to get the the milk from we get milk delivered from the local uh, dairy and uh it's frozen solid so the milk and the orange juice is frozen solid so um see if you, so it's oat milk right but it's essentially not far off the same thing if you unfreeze it can is it going to be drinkable do you think alan yes <laughs> <laughs> I've no idea, mate. But go for it. I I don't think it'll kill you because it is only oats. So you know, easily, easily. I, like, I tell you what, what a way to go it would be. I tell you that to be killed. What a way to go that would be. Well, you, you, as someone said, some right wing commentator said over the weekend, you can't milk a oat. So <laughs> hoist by your own petard, I believe. Yes, that would be. Oh, I don't know if that works in this scenario. It, but it really doesn't. Uh, yeah, uh, so we're got plenty to talk about. Um, but it's good that you're doing well. And joking aside, it is absolutely freezing. So if you've got any kind of uh, you know relatives or anything you need to check in on, watch yourself go out the house because it's the black ice is insane. It's it's so dangerous. Um, uh, yeah. So hope everyone takes care and uh, has a, gets through this week because it's going to be a um, it's going to be really cold and also. Uh, do, do you know what? I'll no. We'll we'll come to that when we're talking about the game on on on, on Saturday. Yeah, we can talk about it then. Okay, cool. Um, let's open it up with the opening question. Um, so the opening question, I, I just wanted to get kind of your 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 thoughts and feelings because we've we've been talking about Celtic every week, of course. But as much as we've been talking about it, we've been talking about it from very very transfer negotiations and, and squads and, and thoughts on all that. But the games are now going to start coming pretty thick and pretty fast. And there was some quotes from a couple of people over the last week or so. One quote's from Kenny Dalglish. I'll just kind of, I'm not going to read it out in detail, but started talking about Michael Beale. Uh, and he said, Rangers find themselves nine points behind Celtic and the squad is not as strong. Uh, behind the scenes, the personnel have also changed the number of key positions, so there are improvements to be made. Uh, Michael Beale, not hard, afraid of hard work and all that, blah, blah, blah. However, regardless of any improvement he gets from the current players and any new ones he adds next month, I think the title will stay at Celtic. Ange Postacoglu has that football club and I really... He talks about Celtic like he's got nothing to do with them, Kenny Douglas. Um... That Celtic club is in a really good position. There appears to be leadership and cohesion on all the key areas. It would require one hell of a collapse at Celtic for them to be crowned champions. Uh, all eyes will be... I, I, I just wanted to highlight this point as well. All eyes will be on Michael and it's uh, vital he gets off to a winning start. Some people say you should never go back to a club you've been to before. I don't read too much into that. I went back for second spells at Liverpool and Celtic. Uh, if you want something, then go for it. Yeah, how did they work out for you, Kenny? Good, aye. Were they, were they both successful? Uh, Petrov was also quoted as saying uh, they're going to take some stopping 
I wouldn't be surprised in the slightest if they increase their lead in the coming months. Ange Postacoglu has such high standards and he puts demands on his players. They know the score. They have a League Cup semi-final against Kamarnock on the horizon and the Scottish Cup gets underway next month. It'll be on their minds to win the treble. That's a kind of belief inside Celtic Park. Cal McGregor is also back next month. Um, the first game is away at Aberdeen on Saturday and they look to put a marker down from the off. So that all quotes, all back in Celtic, all positive. And I'm very positive myself. However... I, I don't want, I, I'd like us not to get going to go over the top because Alan, there really is a job still to be done where we've not even really hit the main meat of the season yet. Yeah, I, th- I think this festive period is always, is always key, usually because it, it's kind of rounded off with a, a derby um, right at the start of January. So, you know, there's, there, there's scope for us to increase the lead, but there's also the potential that that lead could um reduce as well and um I just I think it, it does strike me as quite I don't mean to be critical because you know it's it's a tried and tested formula for journalism but I just find these quotes quite old hat. Yeah. You know, asking someone who was a once great player, legend of the club, you know, respected what he thinks of the title race in Scotland and it is just kinda you know He's just saying what most people probably think as well. Um, I don't think he's... There's nothing outlandish in there. I think it's maybe a bit much when you say that it's over because it really isn't. Um, you know, you've still got three derby games. You know, we start off with a really, really tough game at Aberdeen away on Saturday. So um, I just find it quite old hat. And when you see these things, it's just a really easy way to, you know, fill newspapers, fill blogs, whatever it is. So I don't read particularly a great deal into it. But from our point of view, I don't think there is any doubt that this is, as you say, the main meat of the season really starts now. We're in a good position, but it's only you know, nine points. We've got a good history now. We're kind of side of being behind and coming back. You know, happened last year. And I always remember the, the season we won the league up at Tannadice and the title for Tommy, you know, the position we were in that year. So to be sitting in December saying the league's done, I hope it is. And I hope that they're right. But a long, long, long way to go um, before we can start, um, you know, celebrating the title, that's for sure. A lot, a lot of big games to be played. A lot of work to be done, Kieran. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I always hate it about this. I mean, Alan's absolutely spot on. Like, I, fundamentally, like how much of Celtic and Rangers has Kenny DeGleese walks this season. Now, Phil, we can't, we can't, like, a few weeks ago, we were making fun of Graham Soonis because he's obviously just... He's just spout saying word salad um, about the things. I, I do think I'm. I, I know it's not. It's not quite as egregious with Kenny Douglas, but I. I can't imagine he's watched. You know, us twice a week. Um, I don't know if it, fair enough. He's he is a he is a Celtic legend and and everything. And it's always interesting to get their. Well, sometimes it's interesting to get their insight, but I do think in this case. Yeah, I, I just think we're far, far too early to call the title race. Far, far too early. We, as Alan says, we've we've have a history of of coming behind. We did it not to the same extent last year because we were only six points behind, I think, ever. Um, so, uh, and but we've seen us drop leads before, <laughs> quite disastrously and quite um, traumatically. Um, so, I, and but I think why I'm encouraged by is I I really don't think. This manager or this group of players have complacency in them. You know, we've seen them maybe have drop off in performances, but I don't. Th- I don't think this is a group who, you know, can be vulnerable to arrogance or thinking the title race is done. I think they will have will have a very resilient mentality, a very focused mentality until it's mathematically certain. 
And I think that's the encouragement I get from it, but absolutely not. And, f- and just my, uh, the way of, uh, the way my brain works, as I think we discussed before, is that the title race isn't done until, you know, we've got McGregor lifting the trophy aloft at Celtic Park in my book. So, yeah, but I think it's just one of those things. People like to say these things and, you know, it gets a star on social media from Rangers fans saying, oh, the Michael Beale revolution is starting and we're going to, Beat you, Ibrox, and then the the title race is back on, and it's just it's just a way to get you know page hits and get traction on social media, and it's just the same as it ever was. But yeah, it's not nowhere near done for me. Uh, hold on a minute, they beat by Leverkusen, so it's on. Uh, Alan, do you think there's a? Do you think Angel kind of look at it and be like, this is a new like obviously there's been such a break that you could potentially look at it and say, okay, we're starting from zero. Forget about the nine points. Let's just take it one game at a time and be like the league. There's no, we've got no points in the table. And let's just kind of go from it, like completely reset. Or would they use the fact that we're nine points clear to drill home the fact that we're better? Like, what's the psychology? Do, do, do you think behind it? Well, I think if you use last year as an example, um, obviously very different circumstances, but throughout the season, and reiterated that. We could only focus on ourselves and it only mattered what we did. He then disclosed post-season that that was intentional. And the reason for that was because of the circumstances of the the title and the, the kind of title race throughout the season. So he felt that he had to, he had to come up with a you know an idea, something different, something unique to keep the players on, you know, on message. So that will of course be different this year because we do have a big lead. But I think what it highlights is that he is willing to use whatever tricks he has at his disposal. So he might, you know, I think this year you, you can't tell the players that they've not got a lead because they're well aware of it. They're, they're not daft. They'll know that they've worked hard to get to that point. It's about how you keep it fresh. And I do think there's quite a few things that you could look at. I mean, obviously we talked a lot and spent a lot of time talking about the Champions League campaign this year. So the idea that this squad are at the peak of their powers, I think really isn't the case because they've got left. They should believe that they've got levels to go up. So I think you try and use that and say, how do we then gear up and make sure that we get an, another proper chance at the Champions League next year? And the, the route to do that is to win the league. So, you know, that, adding in new players, potential turnover of existing players, I think there's more than enough things there to mean that it doesn't become stale. What the, the concern would be, I think, from, from any team's point of view, is that you potentially have a long march to what was it, June, when the season finishes and you are in domestic competition. So I think that's the only thing that you would be looking at, making sure that that complacency doesn't come in because A, you have a lead and the only other two things you've got is domestic cup competitions. They are a team that have won these competitions so many times before. That's positive, that's good. But I think you would be looking at longer term vision and trying to encourage the players into thinking, look, you would a bit of a kicking in the Champions League next year. Make sure you get there next year again and give a better account of yourselves. That would be the... I think from a fan's point of view, that's that's what we hope that the long-term growth is. So whether you use that or not for the players, we'll find out, hopefully, in the um, post-season DVD. <laughs> post-season DVD. Um, Kieran, obviously we've got, you know, as I mentioned, you know, games really come thick and fast. We've got the semi-final against Kilmarnock coming up uh, kind of mid-January. And then I think the weekend after that, it's the Scottish Cup. So potentially, fingers crossed, if all things go to plan, we could be in a final if, if you know, we, everything works out for us against Kilmarnock. You know, 
just within the first couple of weeks of the season, um, the season we restarting, and then you've got the Scottish Cup is right in the horizon. Um, do you think they'll be looking at a treble? Do you think obviously last season we did the double, um, and obviously the, the semi final defeat to Rangers was very disappointing. Do you think Ange will say to them, "Let's go and win those three titles"? I think definitely. Yeah, I think the position we're in in the league, you know, as it's, it's definitely not over, but it, it may be a there is some breathing room there. Obviously, a lot depends on the, the Ibrox result. Otherwise, the Tyrese is either firmly back on. You've either got more breathing room or, I don't know, a draw, just <laughs> as you were. Uh, <laughs> um, but I think getting pumped out of Europe, you know, you do have to create new targets for these players, you know, the, for, for them to, to maintain momentum as a team, as a unit. You know, it's not, we can't just stay still until next September when we can have another crack at the Champions League or Europa League or wherever it turns out to be. These are ambitious young players and this is a manager who doesn't want to stand still. We don't know how long we're going to have them. We don't know how long we're going to have these players. You you really have to set good targets so that uh, tangible targets so that you're improving on what we did last year. You're improving on the first half of the season. You can have that in individual games. You can say, right, so-and-so players should be better than the were last season. You could say as a team, we need to have better performances. You know, we had ridiculously good results. That's the game aside. Let's try and even maintain that. Let's get to 100 points in the league and let's get a treble. You know, I think these are the things that keep players focused. You know, my mentioned earlier about complacency, having, you know, having that target of winning all three competitions, getting 100 goals in the league, getting 100 uh, points in the league. These are the... the what really sort of motivates players when you don't have that European football because European football is, <laughs> we've discussed it to death, but it's so, so important as the hook for to attract players and also keep them engaged at the club. So when you don't have that after Christmas, there are other alternatives you have to create. So I think I think it's definitely achievable. You know, that we have no idea how the Michael Beale experiment could go. It could take time and it could be a success. It could be an absolute disaster, which would be obviously very, very funny and give us a massive advantage. But... Yeah, I think there's there are, there are ways you can pres, you know present it to players that this can be a very very successful season despite what happened in Europe. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll come on to news in just a moment, but uh, what is the agenda for the week? The cynic agenda for the week. Monday we have the agenda, uh, which uh, you're currently listening to, and it drops at one p.m. every Monday. Tuesday we've got the review. Christian and uh, Graham will be looking into things, looking back and looking ahead to the weekend as well. Wednesday we've got a, a one-on-one interview with Caitlin Hayes, uh, Claire speaking to Caitlin Hayes uh, in person, which should be uh, a, a really fun and interesting interview. Lots of t- talk about from the Celtic women's point of view Thursday we've got the Cynic Weekly uh, returning looking ahead to the weekend Friday we've got the weekend update um, slash preview uh, it'll be myself and Christian and we'll be previewing uh, the game against Aberdeen hopefully speaking to uh, an Aberdeen fan as well to look at how they've been doing and their kind of build up as well and on Sunday it's the return of Peak Fitba um, for the end of year end of year spectacular so check that out plenty to come okay Celtic 3, Ren 4, in a bounce game. Thoughts on the game, Alan? Did you see anything? I mean, there was. I think the goals were the only thing that was really released. Two really good finishes by uh, O'Reilly and uh, Furahashi. Kyogo Furahashi scored a nice kind of lob as well. What did you make of the goals? Yeah, nice goals. I, th- I think these... 
bounce games are entirely different. Um, I think the subtleties sometimes that you get from these games, the result itself not particularly important, but the subtleties that you might see, you would really have to watch. You would have to see the game to see is Ange trying something different. I think, um, you know, we remember when Ange first came in, that he's the... Um, we've seen obviously the difference with the inverted fullbacks earlier this season. We've seen the intentionally higher Joe Hart. Um, yeah. So he was much higher up the park and tried to kind of almost look like a third centre half. So because this is a little bit of a reset, I do wonder if there is maybe something that you see coming back um, in the Aberdeen game. Unfortunately, you don't see it from the shaky clips that were initially on Twitter and then obviously you've seen the goals so um, I don't think there's much to glean from it um, everyone came through unscathed which is positive so um, other than that I think Aberdeen and Saturday will just be looking out to see is there anything that they've maybe had time to work on and maybe add on to a little bit I think that'll be quite interesting Saturday because there's usually something after a break so I'll be interested to see what that is if anything Is there anything that you personally we've done obviously the beyond the scoreboards uh, over the last couple of weeks and we've looked over the stats and we've looked over the tactics is there anything for you you, you would have liked Celtic to maybe have worked on doesn't have to be anything in, in too much detail but just one wee bit I, th- I think what we kind of landed on maybe the last time we looked at it and tried to look back and um, you know the, the round of fixtures, including the Champions League games, was just a link-up play with a striker. I think that's something that maybe has dropped off a little and maybe rotation hasn't helped with that as well as injuries. So um, I think I would be optimistic coming back that we will maybe see the best of Kyogo because I don't think we've seen it yet this season. Obviously, at the high point, Dundee United, but I think he's a big game player. He's shown that he has that capability of impacting games. And I'm really hoping that when we come back, everyone else comes back at the levels, hopefully maybe slightly fitter, um, a little bit sharper captain coming back. But I would love it if we could get Kyogo back to the kind of um, the tip of the spear that he was last year because he was, he was such a difference maker for us. So if we could get that this um, over the festive period, then it'll be a, it'll be a happy Christmas. Um, you know, we'll go through the team that started. Uh, Hart was in goals, Ralston, Starfelt, uh, Jens, Taylor, McGregor, Hitati, O'Reilly, Abada, Kyogo, Jota. Almost feels like if you stick CCV in there and replace a Jens, it's kind of like the old kind of team. I mean, if you obviously CCV and uh, Juranovic are away on uh, international duty, Juranovic is still in the World Cup, but you know, not far off our strongest team, Kieran. Yeah, I think, I think it's very clear that. I think this is what Ange does for these types of games. I think I've been surprised by generally how little he rotates towards the end of those those periods. I think we saw it in the summer and then the um just just gone that when it was, you know, the final few games of pre season, he basically just puts out his full strength team and then makes some alterations. So I think it's just a a, a continuation of that. Um and yeah, I'm I'm really excited for for player to come back. Quite curious as we all are, about um, how quickly Johnston and Kobayashi will come into the frame um, once we get into January. Um, so, yeah, I, th- I think it's pretty much as it is. I also, like a lot of people, I'm really fascinated by how much football um, Giacomakis and Juranovic plays, um, presuming, you know, if they both are sold or the plan is to sell them, if we've got good offers in, um, even before January or in early January, I'm quite curious how much football they play because I think 
but my my personal stance. We're going to come on to them. In, well, I just <laughs> soon, but I think my personal stance is them is they are both very valuable players to us, and ultimately they've got a difficult contract situation. But we're all adults. They've put themselves in the shop window. Gigi gabs a few goals. Juranovic puts in a few solid performances after he comes back. I think ev- that isn't everyone's best interest, and I think you know if we are serious about. You know, breaking records in the league and winning the treble. I think you've got to use all your best assets for that. And while they're here, I think that would be it's pretty important to use them while they're here. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we'll come on to them in just, just a moment. Um, but just Alan, looking through the kind of substitutions that happened, um, it was almost like for like uh, Kyogo, Jakimakis came on for Kyogo, Jota came on for Forrest, Abada, uh, Yak, Yak Haksabanovic came on for Abada, and and so on and so forth. Right? Um, Fata came on for McGregor. Uh, Lol, Boston Lol came on for for Jens. Okay, that's fine. Idaguchi came on for Ralston. Now we don't have anything that we, we. There's no kind of footage. It's just basically a report on the Celtic website. This leads me to the myself and Callum. We're talking uh, with a lot of uh, excitement and joy about uh, uh, Kobayashi and um, what do you call them, uh, Alistair Johnson. Forgetting that they're not they're not available till January. Um, apologies for that on the weekend update. Um, but obviously we've got the game. It was very it was very uncharacteristic from Callum. I should point out. I was very surprised at him. Very surprised at him. Uh, the games, the, yeah, yeah, the game, aye, very good, Alan. Uh, the games <laughs> we've got coming up are Aberdeen at Batoji, uh, Celtic Park, we've got Livingston, St. Johnson, we've got uh, Celtic Park as well. And then on the 28th, we've got the Hibs game. That all comes before the game on the 2nd of January, which Alistair Johnson and Kobayashi will be available for. This leads into my question about kind of conting- contingency plans for those four games with right back. Because we don't have any other right back. Um, are you surprised he's maybe not put brought a youngster up? Or, I mean, is the plan potentially going to be a Deguchi right back if, if he's the guy who came on for Ralston? Because as I say, it very much looked like it was a like for like. Yeah, I, I think it, it is a slight, um, a slight concern. I, I dare say by tomorrow we'll have a better idea of if and when Juranovic is coming back. And I do echo Kieran's point about whilst they are here and whilst they are still Celtic players, if they are back and available, that you should be using them. Um, I think with with Ralston, the substitute, I don't think that would be as much about preparing the backup as it is about protecting the first choice at the moment, which obviously would be Ralston for these games. So I, I don't really see an easy, quick alternative um, to the, the right-back situation. I think plan A is, I think people will be very quick to say plan A is to make plan A work or work better. And I think with um, the plan for Ralston in the meantime would be don't get injured. Um, Because I think it would leave us with an issue. You would have to be creative. I don't know if, I don't know if necessarily we'd go back to Erdogutchi immediately though as as the backup right back. I think you would maybe see an alternative there. I think that's maybe just about protecting them in in that friendly game and make sure you're not overloading them um, ahead of what will be a kind of, a big training week as well. Uh, see on just on Jakimakis, uh, sorry, not Jakimakis, Juranovic. Obviously, the the game against um, uh, the, the semi final is on Wednesday, Wednesday or Thursday. Um, no matter how that goes, when do you think he would be back for Celtic? Like, when do you think he would be back and available? Because he'd obviously get time off after the World Cup. 
would it be a case of he'd be back for the St. Johnston game or would they leave him to the Hibs game? Because, you know, he's had a kind of semi-final of the World Cup. He could potentially be in the final. And if he is in the final, that's a completely different kettle of fish. But when do you think, if he went out in the semi-island, when do you think he would be back and available? I think if he went out tomorrow, I think you would potentially be looking at that game on Christmas Eve. Because I think if you use the example of Dyson Maeda, I think he had, by the looks of it, had about four days off before he started making his way back. Um, I seen on his, I think on his Instagram that he was heading back to Glasgow. So I, I think he would have given him four days off because he had that availability. Whether or not he does that with Juranovic, I'm not sure. I think there would have to be a minimum of two, three days to give the players, not even just physically time to recover, more mentally, because I can imagine it must be, especially for Croatia, I think it, it must be dizzying um, for them a little bit. Um, so I think you would be looking to give them at least two or three days off. But I think if he went out tomorrow, which, um, you know, is, is, as I about to say, a distinct possibility, but I suppose that's the same for, for all sides. I think you would be looking at the game on Christmas Eve and thinking that it would certainly be available for selection. Whether or not he needs them is different, but yeah, um, yeah I, th- I think Christmas Eve, I would imagine, just looking at the timeline. Uh, just some quotes from Juranovic. Um, he insists he's not interested in speculation. Um, he was quoted as saying, um, Honestly, I haven't read what was written since we arrived at the World Cup. We're just focused on the national team. I even told my agent not to send me anything. I'm not interested at all right now. I want to do something for myself, my future, my sons, my daughters. I want to tell them the story of what we did and be proud. I may not be a player worth 20 to 30 million euros. Okay, come on, listen, hey. Don't put yourself down. Don't put yourself down, JJ. Um, as today's media put all kinds of links from figures, but you, you must know one thing. I never gave up, even when I was in uh, Dubrava. De, um, my parents taught me to look forward. And it's all very kind of unfocused um, and... Yeah, as you'd expect. But, I mean, it must be in the back of his mind, Kieran. Um, another thing is, um, we'll come to you in a moment, um, Chris Sutton, some quotes from him. Juranovic's performance against Brazil uh, was seen across the world. Why shouldn't Celtic be asked asking for big money? I believe they should try to keep him until next summer. He's such an important player and we have to be secure. But if circumstances dictate that he's to go next month, it should be at a premium rate. Of course, the two biggest aspects... Or maybe the fact he's playing in Scotland and the fact he's 27 years old as well. Um, firstly, which league he plays in shouldn't be of a concern. He's performed in the Champions League and he's just been man of the match against one of the world's best teams. 27's not old. Um, he's a first pick for his country. He could then compares them to Kieran and Tierney. I'm not comparing them as players, but Celtic um, Tierney left to join Celtic for 25 million. Yes, Kieran was younger, but Janavic is now going, getting to a World Cup semi-final. Um... Two points. Obviously, Juranovic has said he's, he's he's focused on just the World Cup and stuff. Um, of course he is, but his agent will be looking to make deals. Is, is the time right to sell him in regards to his value being at his optimum? Because the internet exploded after his performance against Brazil. Yeah, I think it is the right time to sell him. I'm still I'm gutted by it, and I'm gutted that we maybe didn't see... The best of him this season, though again, like it's a thing we tried to do. I don't think he was near the worst performers in the Champions League. Um, but I think if you are trying to be the code calculating, ruthless buying, selling club that we have to be, 
then this is the this is absolutely the right time to sell him. And you know, I think there was maybe because he wasn't in the best club form before the World Cup. I think maybe you were thinking maybe like twelve, thirteen million, maybe. If um, but after this, you're thinking, well, I don't know. Again, you you guys might have different valuations, but I think you could get fifteen between fifteen and twenty at this point. And I think that would be really, it obviously, would be an incredible profit from a guy you paid under three million for eighteen months ago. Um, you know. I think then then that also can really fuel a lot of your summer business at the same time, as well as maybe embarrassing for not selling a player on the summer or a key player on the summer. Um, and the, you know the GG money puts into that as well. You know if if you do sell both those players for you know something between twenty and twenty five million, that's that you know even putting to one side you know Champions League qualification, that's you could say. We don't need to sell up another player in the summer now, even if we don't get Champions League, because we have sold those two players. You know, but we, there's a lot of question marks over over Johnston, over maybe from from for me anyway, and the, the ability of Ralston to be your your number one right back for the rest of the season. But I think this is just the the risk you have to you have to play if you do if we do want to be this this club that sells at the right time because we can't you know we can't criticize the club uh, for. Taken not sailing at the right time, which they have been so bad at in recent years, and and I think this is just the right, the, it's the right time to do it. It's going to be a shame. It's going to be a shame with Jack and Marcus, but this is the reality, and this is what we want to be to be a highly functional club. Um, Alan, twenty five million quid after his performance against Brazil and how he's performed at this World Cup, and you know, I was just looking, I was thinking about other fullbacks that have went recently for for you know big money. Kieran Trippier, right? 32-year-old, 15 million quid. People are talking about uh, Juranovic being 27, like he's over the hill. And I understand, you know, fullbacks and wingers' age depreciates as they get older in regard to kind of recovery pace and all that. But I want 20 million, I want 20, between 20 and 25 million. Am I being outrageous? I don't think you're being outrageous. I I do think the World Cup does add a premium. Um, one of the, the issues that I think was raised in the quotes there from, I think, was it Chris Sutton, said about playing in the Scottish League, which traditionally is seen as, and understandably is seen as, you know, something you know to be marked down for. It's a game changer if you have a breakthrough game in a quarterfinal against Brazil at a World Cup. And yeah. look, it might be only be 90 minutes and there's a whole body of other footage out there that scouts will look at, but it's not scouts that negotiate, it's not scouts that, that do the deal. So, um, you know, I, th- I think... I think fifteen, sixteen million pounds is probably what you would be what you would be looking to deal at, um, and I think that is higher from what it was before. I think I'm probably broadly in agreement with Kieran's um, assessment. People always say, "Yeah, but there's multiple clubs interested." Idea of a bidding war. It's I think a lot of the time that's overplayed. Um, it's not quite as exciting as that. It's not quite football manager. So yeah, I think if you got that, a good deal, you might get more you might even get a wee bit less. Um, as long as the club are happy with the deal they've done, they've already signed a replacement. Um, as a player who's been in for, what, 18 months now, um, won, won his title. Um, yeah, I, th- I think it's a real, it'd be a real success story. If we sold him at 15, 16 million, I, I would be delighted if we get higher. But, you know, there is a there is sometimes a realism in there. Um, but, if you know, as an English club, if it is a West Ham type club, I'd be very excited. Um, because I think they are the type of club that might, push the boat out a little bit more whereas if it's a European club they tend to be a little bit more shrewd so we'll see what happens there but I'm quite excited by it um, also on the complete flip side 
watching against Brazil, he was outrageously good. And it is quite... Um, I wouldn't mind the optimum scenario that he comes back and we maybe get three or four weeks of him at that level and then move him on. Because it would be good if he had that kind of... that last impact again, you know, maybe even playing at Ibrox, putting in a big performance and then going off with that under his belt. I would like it if his best performance is this... You know, season, we're in a Celtic jersey, not a Croatia jersey. Is there any chance he stays? Like, is there any chance he stays to the summer? No, yeah, I think there is. I think the only thing, though, uh, from my point of view, sorry, I think there is a potential that Celtic want to hold out. And I think the idea, he would still have a good amount of time left in his deal. The only kind of flying ointment there is those quotes from him, I think were very, yeah, very professional. It does sound like there is... Not a dealing place, but maybe broad agreement between both player and club. I think everyone feels like in this scenario we're pulling in the right direction. Um, there doesn't feel like there's the only stumbling block is who and how much. Um, and I would imagine, you know, we'll, we'll get a deal done. But there is always the potential. It would be different if he only had six months left in his deal or 18 months, but he, he doesn't. He's got quite a lengthy contract. But I think you would want to you know, strike wide with Irons Hot um, and the iron is fucking roasting right now, so strike. <laughs> um, Kieran, uh, there's been kind of reports that um, Cho, who has someone that has been, you know, certainly linked with Celtic, and you know there is a link in between, you know, potentially him coming in and you know Gigi going. If Cho was the number one target, uh, and his club have came out and basically said they they want to keep him till the summer, do you think that would affect or? just in general, whether it's him or whether it's another target that we have, is it really, again, very similar to the Alistair Johnson situation? Do you think Celtic will want to get someone in before letting them go? Because we're led to believe that Celtic have slapped a £6 million fee um, valuation on on Gigi. What's your thoughts? Yeah, definitely. Uh, I think, you know, they have been, as we've discussed last week, they've been linked with a couple of players whose similarities to each other um, maybe suggests that there is more credibility to these rumours, that they're, they're, they are genuinely interested both in those players and in that specific type of striker as well. Um, and I do think with Johnston, if it is really important we bring in a striker, because I think we discussed um, throughout the first half of the season, even if we weren't going to sell GG, I think we would have quite liked a third striker being brought in, even maybe somebody a bit more of a project who can not have as much responsibility as Gigi and Kyogo, but we only only two strikers. One of those guys gets injured. That's a lot of responsibility for the other guy to get to take on. So I, I do think you know, forever for all that made in a bad, I can deputise there. I don't think they offered the what those other two do. Um, so I think it's really important they bring in a striker in, in January, even if Gigi stays um, for the this second half of the season, because as you say, it's just about making sure it's it's just risk aversion in a way. You know, it's, it's not the it's the type of risk aversion the club <laughs> haven't really historically been part of. Their his risk aversion is about potentially losing out on cash or not being certain about whether you can find a replacement. But it's actually for the it's a sporting version of risk aversion because you are just making sure that whatever transpires with a potential player sale that you've got the bases covered already. So that they, it does it doesn't matter, and you know if a negotiations break down with other clubs for Gigi, you've got a you know a guy who's effectively proven goal scorer at a domestic level, 
um, on on your cards for another you know another few months. And if you lose out on a million or two from the final price, I think if if Gigi's goals contributes towards a title win, I think most fans can <laughs> sanction that up. If if he's if he goes for four million in the summer rather than six million in January, um, so I think it's just I'm just really hopeful. And maybe maybe if we do get like more for Juranovic than we expected, that might encourage the club to if they believe Cho is their number one priority maybe do what they didn't do in the summer and just say actually he's worth the, the you know an extra million or two to get him now because um, we might lose him in the summer we're not con- we're not as confident in the backup options on the list as we are with this guy we've got you know 15 60 million quid from Juranovic let's invest some of that in Cho even if it go rises to four or five six million uh Alan um Six million quid, uh, you know, again, the club are not going to come out and confirm that, but that's the rumoured valuation that they're looking for. Gigi's just turned 28. Um, we, we've mentioned in the past about, you know, his, his ex- extraordinary record um, in terms of goal scoring for Celtic. Um, do you think that's a good valuation for him? Or, you know, again, does it come down to who's interested in the reports back on him and, you know, the, the fact that maybe he hasn't, you know, scored... Um, uh, the fact not scored, but the fact he's maybe not a first team striker at Celtic in regards to always starting, because that's something probably they look at as well. Thoughts? I think they'll look at it selfishly from how much what they can get from him. I don't think they'll focus on the rotation at Celtic because that might be very different where he's going. And um, I think I said last week he does strike me as a kind of player that would like a clearer hierarchy. Um, because I think he wants to play a um. He wants to play that role. I think that's where he's best in when he's in and around the box. And he probably wants to be playing, you know, a minimum of 90 minutes a week, um, if not, you know, 180 minutes a week. Um, and he's, he's not getting that at the moment. I think the valuation on him, when I, when I seen it initially, I thought that's maybe a little bit low. But then as a player that, as a player that's not a starter for us, as you say, um, he does have his flaws in terms of the way we play and he's adjusted exceptionally well. I think there's been a huge adjustment from him and how he plays versus Kyogo, who probably we fit his natural game better. But I think whatever, I think what you have to think is if we get to the summer and we were to go into the following season with both Gigi and Kyogo, would you be happy? And I think the answer for me at this stage would probably be no. So if we could bring in an improvement, even if that is in January, and then you can move on Gigi, who has been fantastic and a really, really fond of him. I know that sounds horrible, that sounds really patronising, but the, what he's added to the team, given what I do think are his limitations, um, I, I think is incredible and he's been vital for us. We would never have got to a title last year um, without his goals. But if you can turn a profit on a player that, as you say, is 28, you can then invest that into someone you maybe think is more naturally suited, then I think it's, again, it's a relative no-brainer. doesn't sound like a great deal, but Again, similar to what I said last week, and I say what feels like on a weekly basis, our record of buying strikers in the 1.5 to 3 million range is dreadful. And this would be one of the success stories probably of a generation um, because we really have got a horrible record there. So this would be a success story and he would certainly go with our best wishes and he would be, I think he would fit very much into the cult hero status if he was to go, but probably... A slightly higher chance he's here for the rest of the season than Dranovic, but I think long term, I think from my point of view, we do need extra firepower up top. 
um, someone to maybe come in and really either push Kyogo or usurp Kyogo um, as a kind of number one, because I think we want to improve. That then means that you, you have to get better across the levels. So, no, I think I'd rate it higher that GG's here at the end of January than um, than JJ. But I think um, I think if you get six, seven million, I think you, you take that and you're quite happy with it. And I would, I would go all in on Cho personally as well. Love it. Uh, you know, Gigi has changed his kind of um, his agency. Apparently, um, you know, Kieran, this is a guy. Does he? Does he kind of? You know, that we 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 tend to have this idea that Ange works with these specific types of players. You know, pressing players, players like Kyogo and, and stuff like that. Is he a, like a, he's clearly one of those guys that makes you question actually? what Ange wants to work with because he likes Gigi. He doesn't always start him, but maybe the the perception is Ange has a specific type of player when in reality he just wants players who are going to do what he asks them to do. Um, I think maybe. I think we remember that Gigi was like an agent-led um, signing rather than, um, you know, like one that the, he told the scouting department he wanted that profile player on the went out and got him. It was, you know, the big... We discussed it to death about how chaotic and crazy that summer transfer window was. But I think what I think both manager and player have made a, a brilliant job of adapting to each other. And, I, you know, I think the way we, you know, initially tried to have Gigi do what Kyogo does, that didn't work. He initially tried Gigi to become like a target man, that didn't really work. And he basically just says, right, your best stuff is inside the box, so you're a poacher and we'll, when you play, we'll have everyone else do the pressing and the work off the ball outside the box. And I think that's just worked. It's made, helped streamline his game. He scored really loads of important goals the second half of the season. He scored go- important goals this first half of the season. Um, and I think it just maybe shows... I think it's more about showing adaptability, maybe. Because um, when I look at, you know, Cho and the other strikers we've been linked with, they do, they are more rounded strikers than what Gigi is. Um, you know, they are more traditional target men and that they hold the ball up, they link up play, they drop deep to win to win the ball and then play it on with one touch. Um, so I think I think maybe it suggests that and just wanting that role for him to evolve. He wants that striker to to evolve, and as Alan says, if he wants to get to the next level, there are you know f- favorite players, including mine, Juranovic, that you, you're just going to have to be quite cold and ruthless and just say, you know, uh, we have to if we do want to compete in the Champions League, a number of players that do well domestically don't cut it at the European level, and we're just going to have to. As for all they do domestically, they're just not going to. If we do want to reach the next level, we do just have to bring in better players. And who knows whether the Cho is going to be better? Who knows if Johnston is going to be better than Juranovic? As, as I said the last few weeks, I have my doubts. But I think, do think, and you need evolution. Otherwise, there's only so much, you know, doing the system better or experiencing the Champions League counts. You do have to have a better caliber of player to reach the levels that we want, and that's the you know that's the uncomfortable and sometimes distressing truth. But that's the that's the end of it. And I I agree. Like, I do think with Alan, I'm all in and Cho, and I, I'm hopeful that he is somebody who can maybe give us something a bit different because I do think in the Champions League it wasn't just that we weren't putting chances in his way. It was that Kyogo and Gigi they just looked a bit 
lost in and out of possession at times. Um, so I think it's, you want somebody who really, you know, like we saw with Dembele in the 16-17 season, you want somebody who just looks at home there, who can hold the ball up against the world's best defenders, who can play in passes with his first touch. And obviously the most important thing, he can put away chances when they come to him. Yeah, absolutely. Al, you want to come in? Well, we're talking a lot about players that are moving on, potentially. Can we briefly talk about a player who will never leave and will never be allowed to leave? How good, I know it was a long time ago now, how good did we feel when Dyson scored last week? I, that I love was it. was genuinely, a, that felt like a throwback, as in watching one of our players, a striker, score in a big World Cup game. That felt, that really did feel big time. And I don't think... I've been happier for a player than a non-Celtic top in a long, long time. That was outrageous. Uh, his, the shift he put in, the work he put in, was just fantastic. And um, his yeah, reading of that, kind of where the ball was going to drop and stuff, it's great to see him get like the kind of accolades and the kind of the respect and stuff. Um, yeah, you really enjoyed it. The penalties were absolutely... <laughs> the penalties in this World Cup overall have been appalling. Um Really, really have, bad. I did have a chuckle that um, Janovic is obviously one of our top two penalty takers, at least, and he doesn't make the top five penalty takers for Croatia, <laughs> I think. He could not be further away from the penalties for Croatia. Um, or maybe a wee indicator that we've not got a great depth of talent in that area. Yeah, that still terrifies me. Um, right, well, 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 we can kind of, we're going to talk about Aberdeen, but let's go firstly to the court report. <laughs> Celtic B were looking to build upon their two previous victories last week when they faced off against Berwick Rangers and Cowdenbeath. The young side have had a busy winter schedule and they're only catching up on games in hand over the vast majority of the fifth year. Last Tuesday, their run of four home games in a row came to end when Berwick Rangers made the long trip to the Excelsior Stadium. Going into the game, the boys would have been looking to produce some revenge having suffered defeat against the same opposition in the second game of the campaign. After a strong 5-0 win over Edinburgh University last Saturday, they came into this one full of confidence. And the Hoops also started this game strongly, going the front foot right from the off, aiming to score the opener. And that goal came just before the 10-minute mark as Sunil Souza opened the scoring with a lovely finish. The midfielder made a well-timed run into the penalty area, latching onto a loose ball into the box, taking a touch and producing a cam finish into the back of the net. After a good start to the game, the young side would have been looking to kick on in an attempt to secure all three points. However, their start was scuppered after just 22 minutes as Berwick Rangers managed to pull a goal back, with Liam Buchanan rounding off a well-worked goal and giving Toby Olawayemi no chance with the finish. Celtic almost instantly took the lead back right away as Ewan Otu attempted to force home a loose ball from a corner. However, the away side cleared the initial effort off the line. Daniel Day and Steve McManus said were stringing together some nice passes of play, particularly down the left-hand side with the final ball just being the missing factor as both sides went into the break level. There may have been some positives to take from the first 45 minutes, despite the score being level. However, the second half was disappointing for the Hoops. The boys failed to capitalise on their momentum, which saw the away side produce two second-half goals in the 52nd and 71st minute, and therefore taking home all three points. After some decent performances in recent games, and even the opening 45 minutes against Berwick Rangers, it would have come as a frustration to the Celtic coaches to suffer defeat. But, as always, they would have looked to learn from their mistakes, and an opportunity to bounce back against Cowden Beath on Saturday was on the horizon. However, like the majority of low games in Scotland this past weekend, Hoops' visit to Fife was postponed due to a frozen pitch. This allowed more time in the training pitch to prepare ahead of their fifth home game in the bounce, 
against Trinidad Juniors this Friday evening. Great stuff from Lewis Laird as always. You can check him out on Twitter, LewisLaird01, uh, covering the coat teams and the lone players. Great stuff. Um, you mentioned, Alan, about um, penalty takers. Who is our penalty taker if Juranovic uh, isn't there? I mean, you're obviously Gigi missed his last one. Uh, and then you're just kind of Kyogo. Is it Kyogo? Who would be a penalty taker for us? Is this this is something you don't even want to talk about? I can I can tell. I can already tell that tends to Alan Edgar. Move on, move on. But I'm not I'm not going to. So, Alan. Yeah, I I get the impression that because there isn't an obvious answer that it might default to the... It is a very UK thing of the captain should take the ball and take the responsibility, which is great, but he's not very good at penalties, so it's, it really isn't great. So I reckon in the absence of the two um, favoured penalty takers and adverted commas, that I reckon, I reckon Callum McGregor would step up. Although I would like to see Matt O'Reilly wrap his foot around the penalty because he looks calm and composed. I don't know if that's just because he looks calm and composed, but he looks like the type of player that could take a penalty. So um, after the the session at Lennox time today, Anne should just get a bag of balls and just say, stick them in the spot, son. Have a wee five minutes. That'll do you. Not that we'll get a penalty anyway, so it's probably a waste of time. Exactly. Um, Do what Luis Enrique said. Take a thousand penalties before. Uh, that'll that'll certainly uh, certainly work. Um, that's that's not all. Lewis Enrique said that I'm sure Matt O'Reilly would like to do during the World Cup as well. <laughs> Very much. Um, we, obviously, we <clears throat> return to action on Saturday. Um, Petodre, the weather. Uh, apparently, the the weather isn't going to let up until uh, next Sunday. Do you think there's any chance that? We could get call offs here, or do you think it'll they'll, they'll make sure they've got enough time to make it workable, Kieran? I'm not sure. We could we could generally see call offs because it is it is really bloody cold, and there's only so much. You know, Aberdeen don't have Celtics. Um, was it under soil heating sort of uh, facilities? So that it's, it's you know as you can have the most talented caretaker in the world, um, but it. At the same, at the if the if it is that cold and then the grass is just pure ice, then you're gonna have to you're gonna have to call it off. I, I, I do wonder, like I, I'm sure this is something I'm going to monitor like twice a day for the next week, but I, I do think it is a real a real possibility. I mean, I don't know enough about the the science, so you know, looking after looking after the the pitch grass. I'm actually fascinated by it. Like, I think you'd like you do have to be a really talented individual. I think so, but um, yeah, I wouldn't be great for the calendar, would it? Given how many games we've got because of the World Cup, we do have like twice a week for a long a, a good while now. So, I really I really hope it isn't. Partly because of that, and partly because I really want to see Celtic play football again. Yeah, <laughs> even though I'm actually at a wedding, so I'll be relying on on uh, highlights uh, after it, or try maybe try if it's on Sky, maybe trying to uh, you know clandestinely use it, watch it on my phone, which I'm sure Caroline will be very very grateful for. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, well, yeah, uh, I'm not entirely sure. I think it would be a shame for a variety of reasons if it uh, if it is called off. Yeah, I mean, Alan. Like, obviously, it's if 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 everything does go ahead, do you think like the the surface will play into the game itself, or 
not not so much. I, I think it'll be okay. I think grass parks, you, you should be fine. Obviously, it's an early kickoff, which gives less time for it to for it to thaw. But you do have the you do have the heat lamps, which I presume they'll have on overnight. I think the bigger issue tends to be, and you'll hear this a lot probably as we start to edge towards minus ten. Um, it, it then becomes an issue of the area around the stadium for fans, etc. Travel. I think that's probably the bigger risk than grass pitches. I think should be fine. Um, obviously, AstroTuff's entirely different. You could genuinely you could have a few call-offs there um, for those sides, but I think grass should be fine. It, it tends to be the stadium, and police love using this word: the stadium footprint. So that might be the bigger issue. Travel around it. Um, so. That 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 could lead to call-offs potentially, which would be a nightmare. I mean, I'm similar like Kieran. You just want to be watching football this time of year. We've had enough non-Celtic football now for a bit. Let's get back to the real stuff. So hopefully, but you know, we just need to kind of see what happens. But I would be optimistic for Saturday. Um, yep. Thereafter, we'll maybe see what happens. Uh, just some quotes from Ange. Um, Ange was talking about the week-long Portuguese training camp. Uh, there were some good bits, some not-so-good bits. But overall, it's been a good week of training for us. The boys have worked hard and probably felt the effects of it in today's game at different times. Overall, it's been a positive week. We've got minutes into some players, particularly Callum and Carroll, who haven't played a lot recently. Uh, they've all came through it really well, which is great. We've Obviously, we've, we gave the boys a week off, which I thought was important after the schedule we had going to Australia. I mean, you kind of forget about Australia. It's kind of just because it was so long ago and because Celtic haven't played. Like, it was only a couple of weeks ago and that was a kind of, obviously, big move for them as well. It took a toll on... And because we were shite as well. That probably played into it. We didn't win it. Because we were... Um, because we were shite, according to Alan Edgar. Uh, it took... Quote, Alan Edgar quote. It took a toll in terms of the travel. So just to give them a wee break to freshen up was good. It was very important to get back and focused. I don't think the schedule will be as demanding as it was. Uh, with Europe, you had to travel as well amongst all the domestic fixtures. Uh, he talks about Juranovic and stuff, and um, you know, giving them time off and uh, Kobayashi. It's been a bit early for him, for Kobayashi, and it's just an introduction. And we've got a good three weeks before he's even available to play. It's just been a case of getting him to know the lads, and we train as well as with the boys. We will get Aaron Car- Cameron Carter Vickers, Dizemeda back early this week, and also Johnson joins us, so it'll be good to have them back into the group. Um, very much looking forward to this game. Is there any kind of um, any slight concerns about the game coming up, Alan, or is this a sort of everything's kind of laying out perfectly? Cal McGregor's coming, um, had some minutes in that game. Uh, Carol Starfelt obviously returns uh, before the break. Someone like Cal McGregor, this too early in regards to high end kind of impact games, or do you just throw them in? No, I think he's probably had enough of a build-up now. Um, you would have probably liked it if you... I know this is complaining after four weeks of no Celtic, but another four days would have probably allowed him to have maybe another bounce game, yeah. which would have been helpful. But nah, I think um, I think Cam McGregor starts at the weekend. I'd be very surprised if he didn't, especially with Moy probably coming back off the World Cup as well. Um, and I think that midfield battle on Saturday will be really key as well because... Aberdeen, if you can get at the back line, I, I think they can fold quite quickly. But if they can protect the back line, and that's the, the kind of midfield, they usually play an extra man in there. So it'll be, I think that's where the game, not to be um, 
not to be all uh, Kenny Douglish, but that is where the game will be won and lost, I would imagine, on Saturday, because they need to protect that back line. If you can get at Aberdeen's back line, they, will, they can open up very quickly. So um, I'm optimistic that our technicians in the middle of the park can work some opens, and I think it could be a you know a big opportunity for our wide players and our strikers. So um, I, w- I would like to see him in there, because I think he does give us control. He gives us more impetus, plays with purpose. And I think... Um, that's exactly what you need in a game like that. Um, I, I think it's a great game to come back to. Ideally, maybe you would be saying a wee gimme game at home would be nice. But, I mean, coming back after the break and going to Pataudry is just, that is absolutely mouthwatering. Um, it's a huge game and I think it could be a good game for us as well. Um, they are hard to predict though, Aberdeen. I'm sure Christian will maybe look at it a bit more on Friday. They can be very good up to a point and then it can unravel very, very quickly for them. And we have obviously a good record up there. So, I'm, I'm optimistic that it could be a, a really positive day for us and Carl McGregor at the forefront of that for me, certainly. Uh, Kieran, um, Matt O'Reilly got two goals. Again, it was a bounce game. It literally was just a, a glorified training session in a lot of ways. But O'Reilly got two goals, two very good finishes as well. Are you excited about seeing him back in his natural position? Um, yeah. Um, you know, we discussed it. I think he did. He did vet, He deputised that role well and I think we're all a bit more assured that he can play that role in the future when McGregor's not there. Maybe we would like to say, in an ideal situation, that you have a more like for like replacement with McGregor. I discussed earlier, maybe something a bit lower long term. Um, but it's good that we can have somebody with that level of quality on the ball be there, and this you know the system, the fluidity of the midfield is still preserved. Um, and I, I'm just so excited to see McGregor back. I think we did miss him, especially in the Champions League, and. He just, he just. Uh, we discussed it to death, but apart from Hatate, I don't think you know anyone else there is as irreplaceable in terms of what they offer us. Um, so I'm really excited to see that midfield three back together, and hopefully, you know, O'Reilly. Those two were really nice finishes, and I think that's maybe the one thing you could say has been missing from his game is is are those goals that you know I, th- I thought maybe him, him, one of him or Hatate could go and get you know six, seven, eight goes from midfield this season. Um, you know, Atati's got a couple of absolute bangers, but there's not been it's not been prolific in the way that maybe Turnbull was in his breakthrough season with us. But I think that they're, they're different types of players. And I think that's maybe him being further forward obviously means he's a lot closer to goal and he's a, there's a more expectation on him. Maybe having uh, a bit more shorts, a bit more involved in the final third where he can and where McGregor's just sweeping up behind him. So I'm I'm really excited to see us back. I'm I'm very curious. I think maybe I think I'm quite curious to see whether they thinks you know CCV and Maeda might be might be ready to to play. Um, I think it may be a bit too soon for them uh, potentially, but I think I guess it's like player dependent. I think with you know with Moy, you can say you're not as essential. You know, for you 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 have a lot to offer, but you're not as essential as CCV is, for instance. I think maybe because he is your best centre back, maybe you do fast track him to. To uh to the starting eleven quite quite quickly, and I'd I'd be really excited to see him in Starfield back and get a run of games uh, together before maybe Kobayashi is up to speed. Yeah, Alan. Yeah, I just think on that, I think it's quite interesting. Maybe something we've not really looked into or thought about too much. I think physically, the players, you know, none of them seem to suffer knocks. I don't think there's any issue there. I think after the World Cup, though, as a it must be a very peculiar experience going to the World Cup. And 
you know, all of the sides have done extremely well, maybe with the exception of USA, but there was no failures. All these guys will be, have been on cloud nine and I think there might be a kind of emotional hangover, if you like. I think that's maybe just the thing you need to look out for a little bit. Then that idea of going back to the day job, if you like, might just be, I don't know, it's not something you're going to see or be able to monitor, but I think that that's where, I think that's what needs managed perhaps more than the physical condition, because I think when they go away and, you know, what with their international sides, I think there wouldn't be too many concerns about them being looked after in that sense. I think Ange might just, how you then integrate them back into the group, because obviously they've missed a little bit, they'll be on a a huge high, presumably. I think that's maybe just, um, that's maybe where Ange will need to have a little bit of input, and it'll be interesting to see, as Kieran says, if they do feature on Saturday, because there's probably no reason that they wouldn't physically. It's just whether they're ready, you know, they're back, they're training, and they're focused again, it'll be, that's maybe what to look out for. Do you think there's, you know, um, the, you know, the, it's such a short period of time being at the World Cup, it's obviously shortened uh, because, you know, there wasn't a, a lot of big build up and stuff the way there is usually, but it's so short, but it's so intense. Do you think there will be a need to kind of, Obviously, you're kind of training in a very specific way, and the style of play, obviously, for Japan and 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 USA, those two. I guess obviously Iranovich is still there, but do you think they'll have to be? This is going to sound mental, but like deprogrammed in a, in a way because they've been training and they've been playing in a way that isn't kind of normal to Celtic, just because it's so short and intense over that period. Keen. Um, I think. I, th- I think and that might be more the case with um, CCV than than Maeda because I think Japan do play a very similar style or his role maybe specifically is very similar. Um, I know Japan maybe is a bit more, they did try and contain and then counter-attack but Maeda's role where he is playing off the shoulder on, on the attack and um, you know, he's just pressing the entire game. I think that may, may be a bit different. I think CCV might keep a couple of training sessions, but I do think it would be at most a couple of training sessions. You know, I, I, when I did chat to people about it, it is something you just, it, especially after 18 months of doing it, it, all it takes is just, you know, it's like riding a bike or something. You just get back into the flow of how you're supposed to play. Um, you know, just it's not quite casting off the cobwebs because they've been playing, playing in the biggest international tournament <laughs> in football but um, I do think you're right but I think it's the same thing but, but it's easy that you're, you're monitoring his, his physical development is easing him back in into the flow of like, sessions and you know the the medical side of things as well just making sure it's all okay and then you get a clean bill of health I don't think there's anything necessarily to be concerned about I think it's just you know with US there's maybe asked to play to play a bit more passing football than he was with the USA but I think that's something you can you know ease yourself back into I think it's, for me personally it's more just making sure that as Alan as Alan said psychologically and physically ready for a really important game on Saturday yeah, Alan, any thoughts on that? Moy as well, his performances kind of have uh, a, a lot of praise for, for how he performed. Would Ange look at that and have any notes of it, do you think? No, I, I, I think he'll have been just happy that the, the guys went away and did really well. I think he he will know better than anyone what they're capable of and what they're not capable of. Um, I just think it, I, I would emphasise that psychological element. For a lot of these players, they probably just come off the biggest highs of their career. Um, you know, JJ dies in May this going for Japan in a crucial World Cup game. You know, as um, there's a big 
kind of come down potentially from that. And it's about trying to get them back laser focused on, you know, minus five degree early kickoff game <laughs> on Saturday. You know, that is the reality of it. So if you can get them right in that way and hopefully get them to continue the levels that they were shown during the World Cup, then, you know, happy days for us. Uh, just as we'll, we'll finish up, obviously we've got a lot of kind of uh, build up to the game this week, so uh, listen out for that. Um, but we'll just finish up with um, laughing at England, I guess. I mean, uh, they went out of the World Cup; it was absolutely delicious. Um, some of the the coverage uh, again, I don't want to kind of dwell on this, but the, on the BBC yeah, website, yeah. BBC website today, they've got still got the live reaction. And it's like Alan Shearer saying, this was our opportunity. We should have, you know, we should have done it. If we had done it, we would have won the World Cup. It's like, yeah, but you you lost. Like, you, this is a competition and you lost that competition. So you didn't get any further. And it, it, like Jermaine Jane is saying, we didn't deserve to get knocked out. It's like, yeah, but you did though. You know, it's, it's Alan, is it been a joy for you? It was very enjoyable. Um, probably didn't quite reach the heights of Euro 2020, but, you know, can't always be the zenith. Um, yeah. It was enjoyable. It's I feel like I can probably enjoy the semi-final and final a lot more now. Um, you know, that jeopardy has been removed. Um, and I, I think after the game Saturday night, um, I watched it here with, with my dad and um, I just I just listened to Five Live and it was great. It was just entertaining. It was it was not dissimilar to when Rangers lose a big game and then you just consume the content. Yeah. Um, I did that very much on Saturday and Sunday morning. So, no, it's been, it was good. Um, they had a decidedly average tournament and then crashed out at the at the first sight of um, a, a good side who actually were really, really poor on Saturday night and still went through. Yeah. Um, so, you know, they'll be loving it. So, I actually quite like Kelly and Mbappé now as well, it turns out. Um these things turn on the head very quickly, don't they? Very quickly, Kieran. Uh, that penalty. There's, they're still bloody looking for it. Where did the, where did the ball bloody land? Am I right? Did it not go? David Beckham's out of orbit. Am I right? <laughs> Terrific, lovely stuff. Uh, you've got a lot of English pals. You must be sticking it right up them, though. Oh, I've been very humble, very modest. <laughs> uh, no, I was just sat in the corner with my French pal yesterday. Well, they were. You know, being sad about it. Though it's, it's quite funny. But with, with the English pals, he's then um, his his long term girlfriend is Belgian, so he'd been giving her loads of abuse about the Morocco game and everything. And then she's just like, yeah, she, she was smiling over at him. And oh, it's just it was yesterday was a really good experience for everybody who has passive aggressive feelings about the England national team. Um, so yeah, it's uh, it's just really funny. It's just really funny. Uh, I just say. It's, it's quite. It's not been. I think it's been a while since England have played well in a tournament and were the better team when they were knocked out. Because normally they are just rubbish when they're knocked out uh, against against Italy. Italy were the better team. Iceland, all the um, Croatia. They were they were just the poorer team, but they were the better team on Saturday, and that makes it funnier because they don't know how to feel about it. They don't know whether they, they say you know. I guess the way they're feeling about it is but suggesting like the world doesn't want England to win a national. Tournament. Who was it? Is it Jamie O'Hara or someone was yeah, saying that? Beautiful. They were saying, "Oh, the, you know, the ref doesn't want it." The response to 
it's coming home suggests that people don't want us to win the national tournament. And you know what? He's right. <laughs> Nobody does. So uh, it's been good. It's been good. It's but, funny. Uh, it's the most self-aware he's ever been, and he doesn't even realise he's being self-aware. <laughs> it's it's a contradiction in terms. Yeah. Uh, but what a, what a joy. What a joy. Uh, we've obviously got Argentina-Croatia tomorrow. Um, we'll be cheering on JJ. And um, France-Morocco. Uh, Quite like Argentina, probably to go through. Uh, I was going to say, who who do you fan? Who do you want to win, and who do you fancy to win it? Alan, uh, well, I'd love to see. I think Morocco would just be incredible if they won it. I mean, I don't think there's anyone other than Argentina, Croatia, and France that wouldn't enjoy that. But um, I am a pathetic, like Messi fan, um, and I just think it would be great if he won it, particularly because Ronaldo has had a horrible tournament <laughs> um, to buy into that. So I would like Argentina to do it. I think it would be a great crowning moment for his career. Um, but anyone but France, I think. Um, I'd just like to see an underdog of some sort win it. Um, so anyone but France, I think. And that's nothing against the French. They did, they did their job on Saturday night and days, but... Um, anyone but France, but Morocco would be an incredible story, and they are, um, that would be very interesting. So, yeah, that would be me. Kieran, what yourself? Yeah, the exact same. I'd be delighted with any of the other three, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind France winning it. I do like. I just, I, I just love watching Mbappe play. He's just such an entertaining player. Even if he's an arrogant dickhead, I just think he's also just good. He's good enough to justify it. And like, unlike Ronaldo, he's actually entertaining in the way he plays, uh, rather than just like lashing it in from 10 yards twice a game yeah um so i i'd like I'd, i'm i'm perfectly happy now england are over i'm just like very zen about how it unravels and just hope that all the games are class but i would i would i would uh yeah i think as i'm saying i would prefer them the least of all but i think the other three have such i think croatia would be an amazing under, underdog story as well because you could argue that their, you know, their crop of players isn't anywhere near as good as it was in the noughties and like in twenty eighteen or like the noughties golden generation. You know, they do it. They have lost a number of big players. I know they have got Guardiola coming through, and we all love JJ, but there's they don't have like that. You know, have a Minzukic. You know, it's like I just it's amazing. Like the, the guys who are scoring goals all play in the Croatian league. You know, it's it's a pretty incredible story. And I think them in Morocco are just they've just been the best two best organised teams in the group. They just have the clearest identity. They know exactly how they want to play, and they, they're just panning out. I think Croatia Morocco would just be an incredible final. I'd love that. Yeah, I just hope all of the teams have a nice time, and all of the fans have a nice time as well. Uh, nah, oh, nice. I, yeah, I, I just hope, yeah, I, joking aside though, I, I hope they're just two really good semi-finals and, um, look, cause it's been a, it's been an interesting World Cup overall in terms of entertainment. So, um, lots of shocks and stuff. Anyway, um, Celtic are back this week. Celtic are back on Saturday. Uh, we've got lots of content coming up for you every single day. Uh, we'll be building up to it all this week. Uh, but this has been the agenda. Kieran Devlin, thank you as always, sir. Pleasure's all mine, Chris. Alan Edgar, speak to you soon. Thank you. Have a lovely week. I'm Chris Gallagher, and this has been The Agenda.